Jeff, can you outline for us what the key building blocks, what the core steps are in the realist argument about international order? There are three central building blocks to the realist understanding of international order and international politics. It starts from the idea that unlike states where you have a sovereign and a rule of law which can be opposed by a police, the government, the military or whomever, so there's a strong hierarchy, in the international system there is no world government. There is no one, basically, who can impose globally and legitimately a rule of law or make sure that when states don't operate according to the rules that have been agreed, for example, in the WTO, that they will be sanctioned and therefore have to obey to the rules. The idea behind this is that the international system is anarchical. It's an anarchy. It's a horizontal system where there's no hierarchy, at least not a top power. Now, one of the consequences is if you don't have anyone, any state or any big organization that will look after the interests of all the people and of all the states involved, that you have to look after yourself. Therefore, an indirect implication, which is still part of the first building block, a direct implication of anarchy is that self-preservation is the overriding goal. So states can do all kinds of things, but ultimately they will calculate always whether they can survive in the world as it exists. So that's the first building block which arises from anarchy. Now this first building block has another implication which leads me to the second building block is what can a state do in a world of anarchy when there's no one who can actually impose a rule of law or cooperation for that matter? They can't really specialise. Like domestically you could have firms specialising in doing economic benefits and playing the market game, artists doing art, priests doing religion. You can't do that as a state because you become dependent. If you would specialize in economics, you become dependent for your military protection on another state. What if this state suddenly decides to turn against you? There's no fallback option but yourself. Therefore, the second building block implies that you can't specialize which one calls that states, in a more technical terms, are functionally not differentiated from one another. They are basically the same units. They do the same kinds of things, which ultimately means they do all kinds of things, including economics, kinds of art, moral discourses, uh, projecting values, etc. But they have to do all of this, so they can't differentiate. So that's the second building block. Now, out of these two, what that means is that what centrally differentiates states is their power. That's why it's so important in the skeptical view to see that you've got weak states and strong states, and the strong will have a capacity to control the weak to some extent. What you then get is that international politics differs or is often identified according to the number of great powers you have in it. For example, a multipolar system which has at least five or more great powers in it, a bipolar system with two, or a unipolar system. So that's the third building block. It's power as capacity that differentiates states. Just to recap that for realists, 
the system as a whole is anarchic because there is no world government. There are multiple sovereigns. In Chapter 5, the analogy is made with Hobbes's idea of a state of nature. Internationally, we have an international state of nature with mm -hmm. competing sovereigns. Secondly, because of that, states have to rely on their own resources to secure their own survival. And so they all do similar things. They all seek to defend themselves and their own futures. Thirdly, therefore, what differentiates states is their power in relation to each other. What are the consequences then for understanding, particularly the potential for cooperation internationally? What follows on from these building blocks? It has very important consequences. For example, it means that cooperation always has to be limited, even in a big, strong organization with a long history now like the WTO, because you can't create what's called dependencies. You can't, even if you see it as benefits coming out of participating in the WTO, you can't become dependent upon other countries. For example, if you would open your borders for agricultural import and export, there are some countries who actually are not competitive at all in the global market. Now, that would be very good to some extent if they could get cheaper food. That would be good for consumers. In a certain way, you could say, therefore, the nationally, there is more money in the system to do other kinds of things, for example, to spend on defense. But what happens if you end up in a war? You rely on food supplies coming from far away, possibly. So you easily end up with very vulnerable food supplies and therefore a high risk of famine, which then demoralizes the, your population. Therefore, you've got all kinds of spin-offs in terms of weakness. So you can't afford to create dependencies. That limits considerably the scope of cooperation. The other element that limits it is that states or regional blocs in this case, sometimes like the European Union, they're not calculating primarily their benefits from cooperation in terms of what they would gain, but how much they would gain in comparison to their major competitors. Because what matters is not how much richer I become as a state. What matters is how much richer I become as a state compared to you because then I'm more powerful, can translate to military power, economic power, and so on. So from these limited building blocks, the three points you outlined before, there are actually far-reaching claims made about the expectations of what will happen in the international system. Yes. And in particular, that cooperation internationally between states will be limited firstly by their fear of dependence on others or becoming vulnerable to others, particularly in matters that may affect their future survival. And secondly, that cooperation will be limited because they are worried primarily about relative gains, about how they fare in comparison to their main rivals, and that they won't engage in cooperation that weakens significantly their relative position compared to other powers. So, taken as a whole, what we have presented in the realist model is a very neat and quite constrained view of the international order that, although it starts from limited beginnings, makes quite far-reaching claims about what we can expect internationally. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.